Welcome back, guys. This is the first off-season episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly. We've got some exciting news about the show. We have outgoing transfer news, incoming recruit news, news about the SEC schedule, news about the non-conference schedule, all over the map with off-season news for you guys. So we're excited. Should be about 15, 20 minutes. Let's roll. first off-season episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly for 2019. I'm Blake, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend David. We've got a lot to cover this time, man. We do, and the first the first thing we got to hit everybody with is some exciting administrative news. We have been completely enveloped by the Good Bull Hunting Podcast Network, so to all of our loyal subscribers out there, you may have noticed that the Bullcast was showing up on your phone without your consent, and <laughs> that is not an accident. They migrated our subscriber list into their own, which must mean that the opposite is also true. So to those of you who thought you were only subscribing to the Bullcast or may have joined the Good Bull Hunting Podcast Network for football-only reasons... <laughs> you're stuck with us anyway. You're also going to get basketball episodes in your feed from time to time. So whether you're here uh, by your own accord or by accident, welcome all the same. We're happy to have you. Yep. It's a great development. We're very excited to be joining the the GBH guys and kind of making this an official thing. So looking forward to, to the partnership on that front. But enough about that because we got a ton to get through. We haven't spoken to everybody since we last took a chat, a quick chat with Aubrey. Uh, about two months ago once we originally hired Buzz Williams. So let's get cracking, Blake. We got a lot to discuss. A lot has happened and then, and also not happened in a weird way. So even though we have a ton of news to get through, the roster is still somewhat in a state of flux. What I'd like to start with is the outgoing players. When we last spoke, Admon Gilder was still uncertain as to exactly what it is he's going to do. Uh, he has since decided that he's going to transfer out to Gonzaga. Any quick thoughts from you on that one? It's really tough to see Admon go, but at the same time, I'm thrilled for him. He's going to a program where I honestly feel like he has a chance to contend for a national title. Admon was the loyal soldier for for A&M. He did everything this program asked him to do. I hated that it ended the way it did with, with the health problems that he faced this past season, but I'm glad that he is getting an opportunity to, to go to a major program and you know showcase his talents there and hopefully get to play at the next level so happy for admon but it's it's definitely a bittersweet thing for the aggies it's bittersweet and it's going to have an additional wrinkle because the gonzaga bulldogs do come to Reed arena this year so we're going to see admon on the floor you know this is kind of a monkey's paw situation i feel like somebody somewhere uh, wished on some trinket that they could see Admon play on the Reed Arena floor one more time and then the monkey's paw curled and here we are so i think that's <laughs> somebody somewhere uh, prayed to the wrong deity, but we, we're happy he's healthy. First and foremost, that's the most important thing. He's healthy, he's playing basketball again, that's fantastic. And he's going to do some damage up in the uh, far northwest with Gonzaga. So I think he's going to have a lot of success up there, and I'm I'm pulling for him in all but one game next year. Exactly. And it, it will be nice to get to welcome him back to, to Reed and get to show him our appreciation one last time. So that'll be good. So in that same mold, let's talk about two additional outgoing players. We learned that John Walker III and Brandon Mahan both ended their names in the transfer portal over the last couple of months. I don't know if either of these is a huge loss. I know that uh, we both discussed at length we liked Walker's basketball IQ, even if he wasn't fully college basketball ready physically. I felt like he could have become a contributor down the road, even if he wasn't fully there yet. Uh, Mahan, I don't know if I feel quite as you know quite that way about his upside. He he was billed as a pure shooter despite a couple of streaks that lasted two, three games each 
we never really felt like we had a pure shooter on the team, even when he was on campus. So I don't know, man, do you feel like either of these outgoing transfers hurt us too much or did it feel like the kind of attrition you'd come to expect when you change things at the top? Yeah, I think in all honesty, I felt like Buzz Williams kind of minimized the damage on that front. You still have a lot of the core group that is that is returning, those those core five guys that, that we all relied upon last year to carry the team. So John Walker, I, I agree with you, is probably the bigger loss. It's one of those things you hate to you hate to lose a kid that had a, had some potential on that front. He did need to fill out. He did need to put on some weight and be able to to bang around on the inside a little bit more, get a little bit stronger. But at that at the same time, I, I don't see it as a huge loss. He does have a lot of upside, but it's it's going to be an interesting roster construction for the next couple of years. So you don't really know how much he would have he would have gotten a chance to to evolve his game. Well let's talk about the five returning guys because you mentioned them in passing. I'll call them the five returning contributors are TJ Starks, Wendell Mitchell, Savion Flag, Josh Nebo, and JJ Chandler. I would call that a a quality, if not slightly, you know, below average starting five in the SEC, but it's at least something you can work with. But it also kind of underlines the need for help around the edges. Uh, not to mention that it's kind of a small returning core to have. Uh, in the context of, of those five guys, I want to note that we did bring in five additional players, which is a huge amount of roster turnaround. Uh, Bruce is going to bring five guys with him, one from uh, junior college, four from uh, four at the high school level. But the interesting thing about, about these guys, and, and like you and I, we'll talk in, in much more detail about these guys' games, uh, what they bring to the team. We'll kind of learn more about them as the fall practice reports come in, things like this. But uh, between Cassius McNeely, Andre Gordon, uh, Yavuz Goletskin, Quentin Jackson, and Emmanuel Miller, they're all five like really kind of similar body types, right? These are the five guys that are incoming. They're all between six six and six seven. It's kind of like swingman combo guard types with a couple of of true guards mixed in. And if you heard me rattle off the the returning five guys, Nebo's really the only true big we have. So. How do you feel about the fact that of the 10 guys that are slated to return and contribute, we only really have one true big in the mix? Yeah, I think that that's, that's the big question, right? There, and this, is, this was the question last year. When you had three guys going into the season, all we have left on the, on the big man side now is Nebo. Isaiah J.C. transferred mid-year last year. Mekawulu, we lost to graduation. So the, it's, it's a scary proposition, right, to look at, this roster construction and say, if you need somebody inside, who's going to fill that void? And it's, you know, what happens when Nebo gets into foul trouble? He showed a, a really uh, incredible ability to stay out of foul trouble last season, but what, what's to say that, 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 that streak continues. So, you know, and that was also playing 20 minutes a game. Exactly. When, when that steps up to 30, 35 minutes a game, what happens then? So I think it's going to be an interesting an interesting year. Buzz is going to have his work cut out for him on that on that side, but I think he's going to be. I think Buzz is going to adapt his style of play to fit his roster next year. I don't think you're going to see a grinding style of play by any means. I think you're going to see these guys getting up and down the floor just because that's that's what the roster is built to do at this point. Uh, and quick plug: we talked about Buzz's style at length in our episode to close last season, which has also been migrated to the podcast feed. So if you guys are interested in more of our quick fire thoughts in the immediate aftermath of the hire of, of Buzz Williams, we do have about a 30, 40 minute conversation with another basketball writer about that at length to close last season. So you can look for season two, episode 16. It's probably five or six episodes back in the feed. You can hear us talk about that at length. And we do talk about how Buzz, unlike Kennedy, does appear at first glance more willing to 
work with the roster he's given rather than to try to impose his will upon the guys he has. So that's very encouraging. And I wanted to kind of list those 10 guys and to mention that of the 10, only one appears to be a true brig. To set up the idea of Kerry Blackshear maybe coming over, you uh, to those uh, to the subscribers, both new and old, may or may not recognize Blackshear as the very, very good power forward who played uh, was a second team all all ACC contributor for Buzz Williams at Virginia Tech. He was very, very good down low uh, for stretches. He was the best player on the floor during that Sweet 16 game against Duke, where they barely lost at the, uh, at the buzzer, and he is looking at us and a few other places. I don't know, Blake, is that how you would categorize it? it looks like. He has almost like a top five that he's willing to go towards. I know he dropped out of the NBA, uh, out of the NBA draft. It looks like it's what us, Arkansas, Kentucky, Tennessee. Who am I forgetting? Florida. There's a few. Florida, yeah. yeah. So we're kind uh, of in the mix, and I presume that's because of his relationship with Buzz, right? Oh yeah, I, that's the biggest contributor I think that puts us in the mix. And from the latest reports I've heard, it really that it comes down to Tennessee, Kentucky, and A and M. I've I've heard that Arkansas and Florida were were kind of on the periphery, as was Memphis. Memphis kind of made a late push to go get him. Anthony Hardaway is, is uh, you know, making a run there at Memphis. It's some good talent. But from what I understand, it, it really comes down to Tennessee, Kentucky, or A&M for Blackshear services. And when we talk about big men, this is a guy that could immediately bolster your depth down low. It, I would be really intrigued to see Blackshear and Nebo in, on this roster together. I think it would be... Similar to what we saw with with Nebo and Mekawulu last year, but elevated to a whole new level. And I would just put it this way. I mean, I would say right now we're both kind of heading into this first buzz season with arms wide open, right? We're just looking for progress. We're looking for some sense of identity to emerge. You land Kerry Blackshear, all of that comes come screeching to a halt. Now, now you're looking at we can win in year one. So that's the kind of impact this guy could have. Um, that To me, that's still the pipe dream. I don't know if we're going to land him, but... Uh, you said it well. Those are the type of names we're going to see ourselves in the mix for more and more often. Another name to keep in my, to keep in the back of your head is Quentin Grimes from Kansas. I mean, how often in the past was Texas A&M in the market for a, tr- a transfer from Kansas? You know what I mean? It's just it kind of speaks at at least some level to uh, how the national perception of our program is going to change, and people are going to start near see our name associated with these guys more and more often. I imagine Blake will have another episode in a few weeks to sort out the roster once it finally lands because. There is all sorts of grad transfer activity and regular transfer activity still, you know, flying around the college basketball landscape. But it does look like, for the most part, uh, we are appear likely to land at least one or two additional guys of varying quality. So stay tuned, everybody. There's still a lot happening. Definitely, and I think Grimes could be a big get for for A and M. And I think that that we're certainly a leading contender on that front. He's a kid out of the woodlands, he's just down the road. So you know, going from Kansas, coming back home. You might surprise yourself with what you end up with on that front, picking up a you know a second team All ACC player and then a transfer from Kansas. That that would be a pretty good haul. But on the flip side, I, one other departure from this program, non-player but coaching related, uh, Darby Rich left the program. For those yeah, who aren't stings. aware, that one stings. Darby is one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in basketball in in the entire country just a phenomenal strength and conditioning coach and it really stings to see him walk away from this program you're happy to see him get a get a good good opportunity elsewhere but he was he was really talented and i i think you're gonna have a a void to fill on that front so i agree blake Uh, losing darby is is a huge that's a that's 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 an important loss and there was some talk that he would be the one holdover you know sometimes coaches tend to leave one guy in place 
uh, as they arrive, but he, he also left. So it's it's going to be you know kind of one of those off-court things that's a bit of a hammer blow to the program. But I have no doubt that Buzz has his own people, and I'm, I'm sure they'll be perfectly fine in their own regard. But it just has to be said, we did have a good one on campus already, so it does, does sting a little. I do want to throw it to the schedule now because we don't know a ton about the schedule, but we do know a decent amount. It's more like we know the who and not really the when. But on the non-conference side, we have some interesting interesting opponents. We have Gonzaga coming to Reed Arena, and we have the recently announced game against Texas in Fort Worth. So, Blake, what's your opening take on both of these? Yeah, so as you mentioned, Gonzaga, this is the second half of a home-and-home. Home. Uh, the first half was played last year uh, when the Aggies went up, to, went up to Washington and promptly got annihilated. It, it will be certainly interesting to see the Bulldogs come to Reed Arena. I, I'm, we, we talked about this last year really proud of the athletic department for for taking a chance on this one and and putting this out there you know this is this is going to be a big game I, I have a feeling this would be a big monday night or tuesday night matchup so you're going to get a lot of eyeballs on espn you know there will be a lot of a lot of hype early around buzz williams and and what can he do he was one of the big coaching hire names this this offseason so I think that that's going to be a big storyline early for this team, and a, and you know, kind of an opportunity to to build some momentum. I, I I don't expect the Aggies to come away with a win by any means, especially this early in Buzz Williams' tenure. You have a, a Gonzaga program that's still absolutely loaded. A and M still trying to find the the pieces to fill out its roster so you know this doesn't set up well for the Aggies result wise but I think from an exposure standpoint it's it's a really good opportunity um the Texas game I think is this is once again one of those things I'm really proud of the athletic department for going out and putting this together good for good for the Longhorns good for the Aggies it's it's interesting the some of the things that I read about the theories that were posited on uh, why why this was played in a neutral court neutral site game instead of instead of a home and home series and basically the what the the rumors posted by by Texags I believe said that it, you know Texas didn't want to give up the first home game in the series so it was it was kind of a bizarre thing because they didn't they they wanted to take advantage of their new arena that opens uh, in the 2020-2021 season but they didn't want to give up the first home game in the home and home with the Aggies. So it was just kind of a bizarre uh, I, I don't know how much I how much stock I put into that. I think it was just kind of a an opportunity for everybody to to get their feet wet a little bit with this rivalry again in a, a venue that was going to pay you a, a pretty significant sum of money and if there's anything that would motivate Aggies and Longhorns to come together it would be greed. So um, you know, I, I'm, I'm yeah. excited. I'm excited to have the, the, the rivalry renewed. We've seen, we've seen the teams play a couple of times. Uh, the last being, well, the last official game being in the, the battle for Atlantis tournament, uh, down in the Bahamas, but there was also the, uh, the charity benefit game after Hurricane Harvey, uh, a couple years ago. So that was, you know, those, those are really the last two times that the Aggies and Longhorns have faced off. And I think that this game is is going to be a good opportunity to kind of spark that fire again. So hopefully, hopefully there there will be some some bad blood and you know something to to kind of generate some interest and uh, get everybody to you know back around to this idea that that 
playing Texas is fun and, and this should be done more often. I think you nailed it. I really can't add much to that. It's just it's nice to put those two teams and, and those two colors on some form of a court field, et cetera, playing each other, right? Any any way we can make this happen by hook or by crook is a good way to keep the rivalry alive. So I'm happy we're doing it. Better in Fort Worth than not at all. And hopefully we can one day turn it into a true home and home. Yeah, so let's talk about the the conference schedule and what we know on, on the SEC side of things. Right, so the SEC does this kind of odd thing where every year they announce the conference matchups without really announcing the schedule. And they did it again this year. Where And just a, a quick primer, of the 18-game ga- conference schedule, you always know six of your games because you always get three home-and-homes against what are called your permanent rivals, which for us are Arkansas, Missouri, and LSU. But it also means the other 12 games that we have, uh, our other 12 SEC games always rotate on a year-to-year basis. And those 12 games are filled by four four home games, four road games, and then two remaining home and homes. And I generally look for, in, in these, Blake, I look for, I want the best possible home-only opponents, the worst possible road-only opponents, and generally you just don't want to get hit with a hammer blow in the two remaining home and homes. And we kind of did pretty well with this. So our four home-only games, so the teams that will come to Reed Arena where we don't owe them a return trip, uh, Kentucky, Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, that's four tournament teams from last year, yeah, right? So you can't ask for much draw. better than yeah. Yeah, you you want if if you're gonna get the those teams will be on your schedule the way the SEC schedule works. You do play everybody at least once. So if you're gonna get them, you want them at home. And so we we did pretty good there. I can't really argue that result. Away only games are Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, and Vanderbilt, which I kind of put those into two categories. Uh, Alabama and Vanderbilt are really looking really really weak next year. Vanderbilt just because they went 0 and 17 last year, and then Alabama. Uh, fired Avery Johnson and Blake in the immediate aftermath of that firing. They had a, a transfer exodus, the likes of which I haven't honestly seen before. <laughs> so there is no telling what's going to be left of that squad come uh, come uh, January and February next year. And then, of course, you have Tennessee and Auburn. And we'll be huge dogs in both of those games. No shame in losing those two games. But generally, like I said, what, what you want is you want to at least be able to feel good about uh, a handful of your road-only opponents. And then the two rotating home and homes of South Carolina and Georgia, again, pretty good draw. So Georgia was better than Vanderbilt. And when I say better, I mean they won their one game against Vanderbilt and lost literally every other game they played. So they weren't that much better. So that's a nice team to see twice next year. And then South Carolina, they had a strong SEC run, but they were really, really, really weak in basically everything they did that wasn't SEC play. Uh, their preseason tournament, the SEC, like everything else they did just wasn't really that good. So much so that even though they finished fourth in the conference, they weren't even close to making the dance. That's how bad their non-conference slate was. And they lost a lot from that team. So I don't know, man, long-winded answer, but we got a pretty good draw, right? The, the news isn't always this good when the conference makes this announcement. So one final note, uh, that just about wraps up the, the newsworthy items that have happened over the last couple of months. But I did want to mention, we do have an international trip coming. Once every four years, the NCAA grants you a waiver. Uh, you get 10 extra practices and an, an international trip to take with your team to play some games against local opposition. And as luck would have it, that's happening as Buzz arrives. So we'll get two weeks of extra practice. We're going to go to Costa Rica, play a few extra games. And I mean, for a team with this much roster turnover and, and a brand new coaching staff, the timing couldn't be better. Yeah, it'll be a nice, nice opportunity to to build some camaraderie amongst the guys. Uh, you know, every bit of practice you can get in this situation helps. So certainly, extra playing time, extra practice time. There's there's really no downside to this, other than you know maybe a, an injury potential. But at this point, the the benefit of the extra playing time and extra practice time far outweighs those risks. I think. 
Well, that's pretty much it for me, man. We will talk soon. I know later this week we have a conversation with Bitter White Guy from SB Nation site Barking Carnival to talk in more detail about the quote-unquote renewal of the A&M Texas rivalry. And then we expect, loyal subscribers, that you will hear from us as more news breaks over the offseason. So talk to you guys soon. Bye.